Welcome to the Do More Good podcast. Now, if you're new here, prepare yourself for a journey filled with heartwarming tales and career wisdom from the movers and shakers of the third sector and beyond. Those of you who've been with us for the previous hundred episodes, rest assured, we've got the same three jokes you've become accustomed to, but more stories from people doing more good. I'm Kenneth, the Global Head of Commercial and Fundraising at the amazing organisation that is Part Run, and the kind of person who feels right at home busting a move on the dance floor of an industry conference. And I'm James, big fan of Spreadsheet Formula and Head of Public Fundraising at Sue Ryder. This is the Do More Good Podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good Podcast. The Do More Good Podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good Podcast. Good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Okay. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. Right, here we are, James, back again for another episode of the Do More Good podcast. It's episode 103. How are you doing? Kenneth, I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Although uh, I hear that your neighbours are a bit upset. You've just ruined their party, haven't you? I have just ruined the party. They had some loud music. Who plays loud music at, at this time? It's uh, quarter to six of an evening, but yeah, they're enjoying the sunshine, and as should we be, really, to be honest. But it's beautiful outside. But I'm not in trouble. They are okay. in trouble. Yeah, you did it in a friendly way. Did you, did you lean over the fence, or did you go and knock on their door? Just shouted a load of obscenities. Turn that bloody music down. I'm getting <laughs> proper dad mode. Dad mode. <laughs> I haven't had to do that with the kids yet. Have you had to do that with your kids yet? Like actually scream and shout at them to turn their music down. I remember um, getting shouted at quite a lot when I was younger. Yeah, I, I used to listen to um, that that Rage Against the Machine song. You know the one. But um, I was always really well behaved and I would turn it up really loud and then turn it down for the really naughty bit and then turn it back <laughs> up again. So I don't, yeah. I, um, no, my kids haven't done that. Um, and they're far more, like their music tastes are not as a- aggressive aggressive you know, i don't think harry styles is is likely to cover that one so no um no, no more the, the main problem is i catch myself in the car singing along yes yes you do, remind, you do remind me of a bit of a harry styles <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, the feather boa and the cowboy hat that you're wearing at the moment <laughs> um, i just yeah i just love it so um yeah i'm just me on this show kenneth that's uh, what we're all about we're all about. But look, it's been a bit of a, a little while since we recorded an episode, but I'm um, excited about today, which we'll come on to in a, in a second. But quite a lot going on in our worlds at the moment. I uh, I think you saw today that I shared that I've got a fundraising manager. I'm about mm. to recruit a fundraising person, yeah. someone who actually knows what they're doing around fundraising, I hope. <laughs> I think it, um, not for this to become an ad for that role, but it looks fantastic. Who wouldn't want to join Parkrun and take you guys on that on that journey? So, yeah. Looks yeah. fantastic, as I also shared on the yes, yeah. I saw you did. You I shared did. that with the likes. Yeah. I thank you. Well, no, because I put a little video out together, didn't I? I saw this kind of this new trend of people kind of trying to introduce themselves over a video and just kind of make people feel a bit more comfortable about rather than making the process very clinical. And yeah, I got some nice feedback. My friend said to me that I should try my try my hand at being a children's TV presenter, <laughs> which uh, I took as a bit of a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But are you going to present, are you again this week? I saw something in your notes about Oh no. No, I've been to I've been to presentations. Like I've seen people face to face. It feels like this week. I did one on with um friend of the show, Matt Collins. Uh-huh. I went to see him talk on Tuesday. And then it's funny you should say LinkedIn that I was at the very fancy 
LinkedIn offices. It's nice. Right. Yesterday. Oh, yeah. Like, imagine a tech firm. It looks like that. Yeah. There's a table tennis thing. There's neon lights everywhere. There, was about four, there were more staff there than there were delegates. It was good. Yeah, it was good. Like, oh, they were talking about Kenneth's introduction videos. It's all over it. That's, yeah. that, 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 that's all they're about. You're very on trend. That's all they're. That's all they are about. And you've got some changes coming in your house, haven't you? Hasn't your wife got a new gig? Yeah. She leaving the. Is she leaving the charity sector or is she staying in it? Actually, she. Yeah, she is. She's leaving the charity sector. Yeah. She's gone to the dark side, the corporate side, but um, yeah. So she's going to account manage for a design agency, which just means a lot of time out and about, doesn't it? You can't really do that properly through Zoom. So just juggling that. I mean, this is this is what I'd always wanted life to be like when I was twenty. I used to aspire to be constantly juggling my life between cub drop-offs and school pickups. I mean, I am literally living the dream. So um, yeah, just making that work because I'm sure we all are. You, know. you and me both, mate. Yeah, you and me yeah. both. It just feels like that's the stage of life we're at at the moment, isn't it? Where other other little people come come first. But anyway, look, let's crack on with our show because our guest is patiently waiting. Our guest this week has been helping nonprofits build online communities that are fiercely passionate about their cause for nearly a decade. Um, she helps purpose-led organizations combine data, storytelling, and automation to build email programs that foster connection with supporters and help teams ditch digital overwhelm too. Now, with a background in social media, digital, and marketing, she set herself up as a freelancer in 2020 to support organizations with their digital presence and building communities. Then in 2021, she launched her company, Maybe Later, with a focus on helping people fall in love with storytelling and digital marketing again, which I thought was a lovely way of putting it. She works now to support teams with real purpose to get their messages heard and wrestle back control from social media platforms who are ultimately self-serving first, as James uh, experienced maybe yesterday. Now, we always do look to bring on guests that we can learn from and are experts in their areas. And so after seeing our guests share interesting content through her socials, we thought we'd have to get her on to pick her brains and also hear her journey to doing more good. So we're pleased to welcome Alex Fearon to the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing, Alex? I'm good, thank you. Very happy to be here. Very hot. Very like hard. I don't know if this will age well, but like my office is a tiny spare room in my roof that has basically no insulation, and it is hot. But I am happy to be here. Really excited. Well, I'm sorry we can't do anything about the the heat at the moment, but hopefully we can we can engage you in a good conversation, Alex. And um, yeah, I have to confess at this point, James, that I didn't write all of that intro. Alex did actually provide some of it to me, so uh, I can't take all of the all of the credit but Alex look it was great to hear about your background and and obviously we've had a little look over your history and 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 where you came from but why don't you go back to the start tell us a little bit about your journey to starting your own business what where did it start for you and what led to you having such a kind of passion for for digital with purpose so I'm actually South African I don't know if my my accent is now a really weird mish mash so my parents are from Newcastle, which is where I'm based. So that's where that Geordie twang comes in. But I grew up in South Africa. And um, I think, so I was I was born kind of just as apartheid was kind of starting to end. And so I think there's always been in my life so much conversation around mm-hmm. equity, mm-hmm. kind of making a change, 
um, and kind of also really addressing like big structural kind of inequality. And it's always been something that I've been interested and involved in. I I didn't study anything marketing related. And um, I actually, I did, I did politics and history. And I think like a lot of people kind of journey into the sector, I interned for a nonprofit and worked two jobs because obviously it wasn't a paid internship. <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> From there, I worked for a sort of a digital marketing agency based in Cape Town. And they worked a lot with kind of purpose-led organizations. Um, and I did a lot of work with organizations that were trying to help um, like legalize sex work and uh, kind of like big grant funding for the environment. I think like the South African environment is a lot more kind of like it's campaigning based and it's not as much kind of like individual giving and public fundraising. That was kind of my in. And then I moved to the UK. I was only meant to be here for a bit. That was seven years ago. And I decided, right, I'm going to give it a go. Like, Newcastle is like this amazing little city. It's so friendly. My family are from here. So I thought, right, I'm going to give it a go, but I want budget. Like, I'm tired of not having any marketing budget. So I went and worked for a luxury retail brand because I was like, I can put I can put my soul aside. Like, I can go and do volunteering and stuff like in other places. And that's how I can, like, get that like sense of fulfillment it didn't work had the budget didn't have the soul couldn't do it and so I went to go and work for a tech for good company called donor who do text giving and I helped kind of run their kind of rebrand and that's how I really got to know kind of like the UK charity sector my role whilst a big part of it was kind of helping donor run their kind of their own marketing and kind of brand activation. What we saw was that charities had a really limited understanding of how they could use text giving. They only really saw it in like a non-digital view. And it was like only it's for like face-to-face or in-person events. And so a much bigger part of my role started becoming like working with our charity partners kind of on a one-to-one basis to chat to them about kind of digital fundraising and digital marketing and how basically it's not scary because I feel like so much of it, even like six, six, seven years ago, like you didn't want to break anything. You didn't want to say anything that was going to like get you in trouble. And so I felt like a lot of small organizations had all of these amazing stories, but weren't maybe kind of sharing them as often as they could or in the right way. So, and I I loved that kind of, I loved the training part and I loved watching kind of teams go, we know what we're doing. I mean, we've got our stories to tell and we're in like injecting all of these different digital fundraising tools and like it's working. And I love like watching that kind of like confidence like build up and flourish. Yeah. And then, and then lockdown happened and I just, I kind of thought, like it's now or never to start my own business. Is that, it's probably a bit weird. I don't know a lot of people who'd like did that summer 2020. I was like, actually I'm at home before I felt like a lot of, even when we were meeting charities in like my previous role, everyone had to come to London. It was like still very face to face. I was like, right, I've got a little bit of a nest egg and I'm not going anywhere and I'm going to try really hard just to save and I'm going to go out on my own. So that was August, 2020. Wow. And uh, my first, my first client was fundraising everywhere. 
and I ran the Eon Marketing Program. Those guys. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, like, Nikki is also from the Northeast. So I remember watching her at an event when I was still employed. And I just emailed her being like, I love what you're doing. And I actually, I think it was like a fundraising convention where she was doing a talk about, like, doing networking as an introvert and someone that needs to recharge. And I really kind of connected with that. Mm. And so when I found out she lives, like, 20 minutes down the road from me, yeah, made that connection and they were kind of my first client and it's just, it's kind of, it's gone from there. It started with like me doing social and email and copywriting because I've always been like a bit of a generalist. And when lockdown lifted and I could eventually go back to South Africa to see my family, I had a little bit of time. And I was like, what do I like really love? Because we've got so many, like the sector's got excellent like social media people and copywriters and agencies and people who like it's their it's their craft and they really stay up to date with everything that's happening. And I was like, right, I if I want to do one thing for the sector that's gonna like that I really enjoy, but that I think is gonna have the biggest impact, like what is it? And so I looked at who I was working with at the moment and I had worked with and I was like, everyone who's like stewardship and they like fundraising and their marketing is doing really well, really invests in email. Wow. Like it's not the thing that's like last on their to-do list, like it is for a lot of a lot of teams, because it's like, and there's so many other new shiny things for you to look at. Like email often gets to the bottom of the pile, you know, but like people and organizations who are making it a priority and in investing in in automation, in creative storytelling, in making time to kind of look at data and create experiences for their community, were really seeing the return. And they were getting so much more from it than I think kind of organic social and I think probably even paid. So then I pivoted and made email my thing and launched maybe later. And the name comes from, so in South Africa, you talk about time in three ways. You're gonna do something now, 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 and just now. And when something's like a now, now, or just now job, it's like, you're just putting it off. You know that you need to do it. It's those jobs that like on your to-do list. For that so hang on, now, now, now is lower in the priority list than now. Because I'd feel yes. like the, the, the repetition of now for me would mean we've got to do this now, now, now. Yeah. Now. No, it's later. Right. It's really okay. confusing. So when I first moved here, I was like, oh, I'll do this. I'll do it now, now. And my family would be like, so is there like any urgency? Or you? why are you not moving? I was like, no, yeah. no. Like, it's a later thing. So I wanted to find kind of like the British equivalent of that, yeah. which is maybe later. Nice. And so I think after like nearly a decade in marketing, the like the projects and the jobs that like move your organization forward the most are the maybe later jobs. It's the stuff that you like keep on putting off because you don't have the time, because you think there isn't like the resource for it. But when you do it, like the impact is massive. And so that's what I help organizations with now. What an intro. Brilliant stuff. There was something where you talked a little bit about working at Donor and you had you must have had quite a wide experience there. Was that did you find that quite maybe it's a bit of a mix of frustration that people weren't using that better or you just thought the opportunity here is massive? I definitely think it was a mixture. I think for me, often the frustration came in when you'd get an organisation where from the outside, nailing so many things and then 
you'd have a look at kind of like digital fundraising and community kind of activation and they were really afraid to try something new mm. so it's like oh well yeah. but we have this text giving code from like 15 years ago and we just stick it on our merch for london marathon and then like that's all we do yeah. so it was like trying to like get into existing kind of processes and ways of working but then like also on the flip really exciting so when you go into small medium organizations or organizations who like were just starting kind of like an individual giving portfolio go like you don't have to have all the all the tech and all the stuff which often is a really big barrier for people like you can just set up this thing on a self-serve platform and you can start raising money now and to watch them go like this is it like we can put it in all of these different places and it's amazing um, yeah. so yeah definitely a mixed bag I'd say okay and Alex you touched on it a little bit about just kind of that decision to go on your own we've had as you can imagine we've had a few people that have kind of ended up where you are in terms of kind of starting their own business or going into freelancing I think it's always quite inspirational to be honest because I know that you know I've had that thought at certain points in my career and never been able to quite take that step and understand for a lot of people, it's normally quite a big step into the unknown. And there's lots of kind of questions like, how am I going to keep my lights on? How am I going to get clients? Can you just talk us through a little bit of that that kind of decision at, at that point? And maybe some of them things and questions that walked through, that went through your head and how you kind of managed to get yourself through them questions? Yeah, absolutely. For me, I was like, right, I, it is really scary, but what are the things that I can do to make it a little bit less unstable or more predictable. So I, the first thing that I did was I got a retainer client for six months. So like, wasn't loads, but I knew baseline, this is what I've got. And I think also at a time when no one was going out, we weren't buying loads of stuff. Like I think that that really helped with my mindset. Mm. Um, and I think that that is a really big part of it. I think that if, the, if it had been this exactly the same scenario, but not in lockdown, I would have gone, Mm, I don't think that I can do it. I also, like at the time, I was recovering from a bit of burnout. I was like, I know that I need to build a business that is brain first for me. Mm. And that was a really big motivator. Because I think once you've had burnout and you know what that feels like, Mm. you want to do everything that you can to try and create an environment that is supportive. And knowing that eventually I'd be able to reap the rewards and kind of like flexibility and working in a way that like matches my energy levels that really helped me push through the fear. Because it could go the other way because you're your own, you're your own boss. You are the uh, the accountant, you're the designer, you know, content creator, you're doing everything. I can see how that potentially would feel quite overwhelming. You haven't got anyone to help you. At the same time, you haven't got somebody saying, I need that by four o'clock now not now now i need it you know so there's that balance it could go either way i suppose but you've you found that's worked yeah and i mean i'm not gonna lie in the beginning you quickly realize you can't hold all the balls yourself all the time so i was like right for me i'm like i'm not a numbers person so as soon as i could afford an accountant it's like go for it that is you you can manage that (laughs) Um, and then I also, I joined like a, a group business mentorship program. And I'm really like, for me, I, I could talk about it forever. I'm not sure 
I'd still be working for myself if I didn't have that support. And I think that's, it's like that community thing and knowing that I could pop on like a Zoom call or pop a message and like Instagram DMs to go to people. I'm having like a wobbly day and I, and I don't know what to do because then they become your team. Mm. And I also think who are nice people, most people, and people want to share resources and stuff that have helped them. And I think that made a really big difference. Yeah, that makes a makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's great to hear. Like you realize, like you said there, that most people actually just do want to help. They just need to be asked, right? Like I'm sure we all get messages from people saying, "Can I have five minutes of your time just to some help with this?" And you always want to give that. So that's great to hear. How have you found some of those kind of disciplines in terms of owning your own business that maybe wouldn't have naturally sat with you previously? Things like kind of putting yourself out there maybe in terms of developing business, maybe responding to tenders. I mean, you touched a little bit there on on kind of the finance side, which you were quick to outsource. But that's another area that always interests me. How do you kind of how do you find yourself in areas that you don't that you're not comfortable in really? And how do you how do you learn those? What was really interesting for me in the beginning, so I obviously I had my Twitter was pre-existing and my LinkedIn, and then I had my kind of personal Instagram. And even though I like I know that vanity metrics don't matter, I was like, I'm too afraid to start something new. I'm too afraid to start from zero. Mm. And so I tried to put myself out there and kind of pivot my personal account to a work account, and I found it so difficult because I had this voice in my head that was like people who I know from life don't know this work version of me and it made me feel like the biggest imposter ever and for quite a while I disappeared from marketing I liked marketing myself I didn't I didn't do it because I just felt like who am I to kind of show up Mm. as this as this expert and have kind of these opinions on things Mm. I also like obviously at the time there were no in-person networking events and I found the whole zoom networking thing just too much like do you remember when it was like 100 people on a call and then you were pushed into these breakout rooms and no one could speak because everyone was speaking over the top of each other and it was just and I just couldn't do it and so I almost feel like the disciplines that I felt weren't my strong points I only started to work on when we came out of lockdown Mm. so it's almost like my business has had like three phases one for every year and I'm only now kind of starting to really get into a rhythm of being more involved in like the northeast kind of fundraising and non-profit community and making time to kind of get to London and put yourself out there book meetings with people who you feel really afraid because you think you're from a really big kind of agency or you know kind of a household name I'm almost kind of I'm finding my feet turning three in August but finding my feet (laughs) I think self-compassion is such a big part of it and knowing and accepting that I'm never done learning Mm. and I think that helps me kind of push through the stuff that I still feel a bit uncomfortable doing just gonna give you a huge compliment actually because I think the way that you've like you talked about the three years of of the business but the way that you presented the brand and like I just knew of you just from seeing you a little bit around on social and I know that you've really managed which I think is the the really smart piece to get your niche 
in terms of kind of the email and storytelling and become the expert in that area. And you see so many consultants, as I'm sure you do in this sector. And I have I don't think I've seen one who's managed to do what you've done in terms of kind of your brand and what what you go to Alex for. Now, of course, that could maybe be detrimental in the future if, if email completely goes away and everyone's <laughs> like, oh no, you know, what happened to Alex? But I think just in terms of the look and feel of the website, the way that you you storytell about yourself, the content that you put out. It just feel feels really congruent and coherent about what your area is, which I think a lot of people can probably learn from. Thank you. Where it also like really helped me was like I know what I talk about. I know I know what I have to keep on learning to kind of share with my community in a more digestible way. And for the days when there's like there's so much going on in the world, right? So to know. The only thing that I need to talk about is email and storytelling and automation and taking care of people like that really helps my brain. And also what I love is that, you know, when an organization comes to me and they say, we want to do this big multi-channel campaign, they go, right, I've got just the person for TikTok. I've got just the person for Instagram. And I know I'm building out a team for a project Mm. and referring them to people who feel the same way about their niche and their craft as I do mine. And I like I love that. Yeah. And I guess owning that space, like you, you talked about building confidence, you're just going to nail email. I'm just going to be, and as, and as you do that and as you build clients and as they give you nice feedback, actually, I do know what I'm doing here. This is, you know, I can talk about this. And you've got your little crew of people that do each thing individually brilliantly. The Google works because it does one thing really, really well. And you will have read about it before, but like Yahoo tried to do everything on one site and it failed dismally. I guess you're talking about taking those little steps and learning and sharing and building confidence through it. That's a nice lesson for anyone out there in any discipline, doing anything within the social good space. Yeah, I think it's, it is scary. Like you just touched on earlier, what happens when email disappears? I feel like every year, some big newsletter or kind of marketing platform declares the death of email. And everyone has a panic. But I guess all you can do is, number one, see how it goes. There's so much stuff that you're not in control of. But also, and I think, again, doesn't matter what your discipline is, there are there are skills that you can apply to so many other things. Often, I think, in the sector in particular, you go, like, I've only ever worked in this one department or I've only ever done this one thing. And I love chatting to people going, like, so what do you do on a daily basis? What are kind of also like the soft skills that come with that? And how can you take that to the rest of your organization? And I think we'd, yeah, it's a great exercise to kind of spend a little bit of time on and jot it all down. It's Kenneth's turn to get the drinks in this week. So I'm going to let you know that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Do More Good Pod. Or if you're a professional business person, you can find us on LinkedIn too. There's a website, domoregood.uk, packed full with episodes, blog posts, details of the team and a link to the newsletter for your VIP content. Coming back, two pina coladas and a lager for me. So come on, let's 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 pick pick your brain, Alex. Like email is dead, isn't it? Of course it's yeah. dead. It's, 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 it's dead. Dead, dead for years. Uh, no, obviously playing devil's advocate a bit, but it's low on the priority list for a lot of organizations, or at least it, it it seems that way. You know, it's almost a forgotten channel. 
people are looking, as you touched on earlier, they tend to focus on the more shiny things, the, the newer social channels. I guess it's more critical to many organizations than they care to admit. Tell us about kind of your observations. Like what are some of them general things that you see out there? And we appreciate that the the, the sector is so broad and vast that it, that it obviously is difficult to make generalizations. But if you could, that would be really useful. Yeah, I think really general, I would say that the majority of charity email programs look like this. You send 12 emails a year for your newsletter. Then you get to your big, whether it's like a year-end appeal or you're running, you know, whatever those key moments are for your organization. And then you go, oh, we don't actually know how to like properly get in touch with people or promote it because there's so much noise on social. And then you flood people's inboxes and you don't see the return because people have heard from you not 12 times a year, three times a year, because if you've got an open rate of 30%, it's not going to work out. And so I think that's kind of the general picture is the, this is what we've done this month kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then the big fundraising ask, even, I don't want to say worse, but even worse than that, we're not even going to do a monthly, we're going to do a quarterly. We're going to do a quarterly newsletter that basically looks like the digital version of a newsletter from like a 2005 PTA meeting. And then people get confused when no one clicks on anything or does anything because they're like 15 stories and too many asks and it's not optimized for mobile. And so I think that that's kind of like the general picture. James and I just furrowing away in the background, checking our latest newsletters <laughs> to make sure yeah. they have no, it's it, I, I can completely appreciate and understand, but it comes down to like like you touched on Alex about priorities, right? Is that someone somewhere has not made that a priority because probably because they don't see that there's enough value in it. But I guess that part of your job is to say, well, actually, if you do X, Y, and Z, that value that you don't see at the moment, you will see because you'll be getting these results from it. Is that is yeah. that the journey that you normally have to take them on? Absolutely. And I think I often start with kind of go, right, okay, so you, someone can make a one-off donation on your website or become a regular giver. What happens to them? And the chat is normally there's like a, that one automated thank you email that's kind of plugged into your donation tech. And then you just fall into that general kind of bucket and you set tasks on your CRM which hopefully on the right day we have the time and the capacity to send someone that thank you or to send them an update and it just becomes inconsistent and where the value comes from is going what can we create what like baseline amazing stewardship can we create for people via email that we can send automatically that can start to funnel people based on what they're interested in, what they engage with, what they don't engage with, so that we know that no matter what, this is the relationship that's being built and this is the experience that's being created. And then you can start to kind of add the other kind of moments on top of that. Uh, and there's, I think there's, you know, for me, there's so much 
value in taking the time to plan it all out and to see what you want to talk to people about and why. And I'm not a fan of kind of the whole ladders of engagement approach and kind of in, in fundraising and cons. But what I do think is really useful when you start to map out emails is you're going, right, I'm creating an opportunity here for someone to get involved in something else, to become a regular giver, to sign up for an event, to get the information to, whilst they might not act, will inspire them to leave a gift and they will in like 30 years down the line. Mm -hmm. The return in terms of supporter experience is massive. But then also internally, what you do for your team when you know that there's just kind of this amazing stuff ticking along in the background, you free up space to come up with new ideas, to do that kind of one-to-one kind of like stewardship and Mm -hmm. test new stuff. And I think that's where the return of email really comes into its own. Like, yes, you make money from email and you, you build those connections, but the level above is that it frees up capacity to do more stuff do less do whatever it is do more good exactly there we go that sounds amazing <laughs> actually i never thought of it like that but of course that makes sense especially in a in a sector where we all know that fundraiser talking about being overworked so many pressing priorities so many things to do we need the tech to work harder for us to free us up to do that as you say the that call to that donor that you haven't spoke to in a while or you know the extra special moment and going above and beyond in terms of building a relationship it makes it makes complete sense i think we should do a deep dive into james's uh, email program you know what just... I, have, I have wondered about this because i know you offer that alex and i was going to send you i was going to send you the do more good the sporadic do more good newsletters <laughs> that occasionally sometimes land in your inbox they look like the pta from 2005 you know that sort of thing but i imagine in your role it can be quite a curse because you know what good looks like and what you see mostly is really bad. What's the thing that when it lands in your inbox and you see an email and like, oh, you hate it. It's the the number one thing that really winds you up when you get the Do More Good newsletter. What is it about (laughs) that that really? I'm going to be kind and I'm going to keep it general. Okay. We can can do a debrief after this where I'll pick apart. With name names. Yeah. All right, yeah. I want to break it into two parts. What you see in your inbox, so before you've even opened it. Yeah. Do we fan of the emoji in a... Like, I like an emoji. Yeah. But okay. you, right. it has to be, I think, related to what you do. Don't go wild. Also, don't put it at the beginning of subject lines because that's not good for accessibility. Like, yeah. those are the kind of things you need to think about. But like, is it like is it a, little, a little cherry on the top. Yeah, just a little. You've got a nice subject line, which you're going to tell us about now. And then a little little something just, just to. Little... Yeah, nice. So worst practice, general update. What is that? <laughs> you're <laughs> actually looking at that. that do more good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. Uh, can, I, can I give one that I hate? Yeah. I hate when it's just high apostrophe at the start of the email that you get. <laughs> and it's like, okay. Someone doesn't know how to use the email platform. That's one mine. Come on, James, you must have one that you hate. God. Oh, man. Like If, it's, if it starts with for action, I'm generally like, oh, God, <laughs> no. Or high priority or urgent. Or like, oh, God. Uh, um, I don't know why. I, I, I love it. I absolutely love it when someone gets the, um, it's a high first name. Yeah. I love it when it does that. 
because everyone makes that mistake. <laughs> everyone gets that wrong. So it just makes me feel a a little bit, you know, like I have sympathy for them because they were about to get a thousand emails back that yeah. says, did you know you sent it to, yes, I did. Yes, of course I knew. Of course I knew. <laughs> but that fills me with warmth that actually everyone <laughs> makes mistakes out there and does that. So I do. it's um, both the bad and the good. Yeah. Alex, we just want to just just moving on a little bit from kind of your take on you talked about automation and freeing people up to to work on on other things, and that's what possibly kind of the tech can do. And obviously, we're hearing a lot at the moment about AI and about Chat GPT, and and we're all using it to kind of save hundreds of hours of time copywriting and and write the introductions to the Do More Good podcast on occasions <laughs> and the newsletters and all of that stuff. But I'm just wondering if you can. I guess tell us about some of the creative ways or the innovations that you're seeing when you're working with clients and and, and maybe how people that are listening can kind of keep up with these trends that we're hearing so much about. I think from an AI perspective, I love watching teams use it to kind of help get over that, like that blank page fear. And I think that's what stops people from emailing more frequently as they go, oh, I don't well, like we don't have any news, we don't know what to say. And so it's interesting to start to watch teams use ChatGPT and do prompts to help start that process. Because then I think if you like mentally know that it's not going to be a drive to start, you're kind of more inclined to kind mm-hmm. of keep going. What I think a lot of organizations we're not quite there yet, but need to get better at is just getting more comfortable with with testing and playing. And I think email, like in most email marketing platforms, make it so easy to do A-B testing, whether that's your subject line or really basic design stuff. And just taking a look at your comms calendar and going, right, twice a month, these are the things that we want to test. And then just keep on, just like keep on making those tweaks because that's when your emails get really good and you can start to take insights from one channel to another and you can kind of start to make assumptions. And I think also it's things around kind of like accessibility and design and really making sure that what people are creating, whilst it might sound really basic, that it is a great experience on mobile. Like top tip for anyone who's in charge of doing copywriting, please have a look at what your emails look like on dark mode. It's not super techie. It's not robots are coming to get you, but it it makes, you can see, and I think we all consume so much content that you can, when you get an email from an organization and it just like, it reads well and it pulls in data from other places that you've collected from your donation form or from the reason why you ran a marathon. Like people notice that stuff. Mm. And so it's just kind of, taking the time to get to learn it, feel more comfortable and then test and, and play. And also at the end of the day, like I feel like email still has one of those things where like when you send your dear first name, like it feels really stressful. It feels way more stressful than when you sent out like a Facebook post with, with a typo because it just kind of disappears. And I think most people, not that no one cares, but it's like they're human. They're testing a thing and it didn't quite work out and that's fine. Yeah. So like just get comfortable with with wincing and hitting send or schedule and some of and some of the best it. open rates we've ever had are on are on the first email, but once we've sent the apology email. 
So then we send yeah. something that says, oh, God, look, we're really sorry. We made a massive error there. Everyone goes to look. So if you actually, it's quite yeah. a neat little strategy. I'm sure you've <laughs> played with that one in the past. Yeah, if you want the open rate on the first one, send an apology afterwards and get people to go looking yeah. for it. Ours Oops. was an absolute <laughs> belter of a mistake, by the way. I really like that, though, that you're saying about playing, like an encouraging play with it, because I'm sure we've all worked in organisations where sending an email, it was like, seven levels of sign off before you could hit send and then it was like a big red button on the marketing directors or whoever's responsible desk like yes we can now send this email mm-hmm. when actually like mistakes do happen and what's the worst that can happen is always the the question you ask yourself and we should be doing kind of more especially if we're going to optimize and innovate and find new ways and yeah we've maybe got a little bit lazy with that you can pull in so much stuff you can bring in whole blocks of stuff that you are playing with. It doesn't just have to be first name and latest donation amount or whatever it is mm. that you're pulling through, like pure data. You can really mm. play and tailor content based on what people have clicked on in the past. Yeah, Learning absolutely. far more about your audiences and feeding them what they're interested in. And also for me, it's playing with dynamic content. I hardly see any charities really play with it because... It feels so scary, but it's just things like, okay, what different kinds of groups could we put our audience in? For example, location. Let's change an image based on where they live to see how that changed. Like it's really small stuff. And it means that you're also not copying and like duplicating 10 campaigns to then change one little element. Like you can have it all in the one and then all the reporting starts to talk to each other. And they've all been designed all the platforms have been designed for normal people like me and you, so we can look at the data on this beautiful little dashboard with all these graphs, and you can start to like really get yeah. to know your audience in a way that I often feel is like more accessible than other digital platforms. Yeah, that's so cool. And they can get to know you, right? Because what comes through certainly in your emails and brands have begun to do this, maybe may, it feels like they've begun to do this over the last 10 years or so. This didn't used to happen. You get real personalities coming through. So that tone of voice that you can play with and really begin to have fun. And email yeah. is a perfect way of doing that. You get a few lines to, to get that across rather than a, a post. Yeah. And I'd also say the kind of the tone of voice thing. I think email makes us embody this really formal part of ourselves, even if it's a like a marketing or fundraising email. And if we can shake that off and go, which other voices in our work can we showcase? Like some of my favorite emails from charities are first person from Solar Aid. Love them. If you want to go and look at like a best practice, subscribe to their things, make a donation because you bring in so many different voices. It's not just or your supporter, engagement manager, or your, which is great, but people want to get to know your whole organization. Mm. And it's again, like you've got so much more space and I think attention span from readers to tell those stories. Mm. So like, yeah, shake off the stiffness and get other people to write stuff and see what happens to your email kind of open rates and click-through rates then. Alex, I think you're going to get lots of calls, hopefully, after this from the three people that listen to this. Because I'm sitting here thinking, right, we need to get in touch with Alex about our email. I'm sure everyone's sitting there going, right. But Alex, just wanted to kind of start kind of wrapping it up. We saw in your email today that you kind of referred to a bit of a quiet time, like you, you, you're you not taking on new clients a little bit at the moment. 
maybe you've touched a bit on burnout and things like that. Just wanted to kind of check in on you and like the future of your organization and like, you know, you've got this great band. You, you're so great at talking about it yourself. What's the future look like for you? Are you going to grow massive? Are you going to be like the email queen of the UK charity sector? Number one, thank you for checking. Yeah, I'm I'm doing okay. I I basically I felt really tired. I felt I felt tired for a while. And I when I was on annual leave last week and usually like a week in the sun. So obviously Southern Hemisphere baby, like I need it. I don't know why I live in the North of England. Week away normally fixes the things and it didn't. I don't feel ill. I don't like but you know when there's like a thing in the back of your head where you know you've got to change some things, you've got to take some time mm. to build up the energy. And so I'm going to have a slightly quieter summer. I'm going to be developing some cool kind of like free workshops and work on maybe later a bit more. I think as a freelancer or like a solo business owner, it's really hard to make the time for your own stuff. You should treat yourself as a client, but you never do. So I'm going to have a little bit of a, a quieter summer and then I'm going to come back with a bang and I'm going to be helping some of my existing clients and some new people, hopefully, get ready for that kind of like year-end appeal season. So it's winning back people who have cooled off a little bit, cleaning your data, coming up with a plan, like that's the stuff that I I live for I love it so much but am I going to turn maybe later into like a big agency machine no like I don't I don't want to I I love that I can build out teams for a job I love that I can say I'm not the right person for this and pass it on to someone else I love that I can walk my dog at two o'clock in the afternoon or if my brain is feeling it yeah like Edna is well I don't think Edna would cope if I had to like do a big nine to five thing it feels weird to say that I'm I'm really happy with it just being me yeah but for a really long time I literally I never I didn't think that work could feel this way and I think everyone deserves to have work feel this way yeah so for now it's just me and the cool people that I bring in and the amazing organizations that I partner with and I'm really, I'm really happy. I'm really content. I think it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to say that I think about, about your job. That's so cool. It, it reminds me actually of speaking to, to Wayne Murray a, a few months ago when we were talking to him and he was saying, you know, I get a lot, I think we asked him a similar question about, is he planning to grow it? And he said, I think he said he, he had opportunities to grow it, but it would almost change from what it, what it is. Yeah. Like, you know, you, it's, it's not, not a lifestyle business. I think that kind of, it's, it's doesn't feel quite right because it's a business but but yeah having that flexibility being your own boss making the decisions managing your ups and downs like you're talking about earlier is a really important part and actually we could all do with a bit of that because when you're on the on the train of a bigger organization where you don't get those down moments as much as as you would if you can control it yourself a little bit so yeah that sounds perfect sounds brilliant yeah, I think also for anyone listening who is part of a team, I think it's also important to say that I think that teams and working for bigger organizations, like that balance and that good culture is possible. Mm. And I think it's, if I think back to 
me in 2019, if I'd heard someone say the only way that you can feel happy in your job is if you work for self, yourself, I'd find that a lot. And so I'm putting it out there that there are teams and leadership teams that want to change what work feels like for everyone. Um, yeah. yeah, shout out to Claire Warner as well. Yes. If you ever need a little bit of a help, go and, go and chat to Claire. Yeah, I think you're right. And actually, I can relate that to my, I mean, I've been with with Portrun now for, for 10 months. And, you know, we're a health and well-being charity. And quite often our CEO will get up and say to us, we are focused on people's health and well-being. Like, you should not be working all hours of the day or working through your lunch or not taking downtime. But he needs to check himself. And I think when you're in a corporate or a bigger organization, I think we all need to check ourselves sometimes because it's easy to get carried carried along with it. But that, I'm sure that's true to, to, to lots of people. James, should we go and uh, should we feel like a good moment to, to to wrap it up? Should we give Alex the quick fire questions at the end? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll kick us off. Go on then. All right. If you could transport back in time and meet your 20 year old self, what piece of advice would you give and why? Oh, care less about what other people think about you. Because you are whole just the way you are. Even if you don't have everything figured out, that would be, yeah, that's what it would be. Love it. Love it. Can you tell us about one life hack or a productivity tool or a habit or a skill that you've taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about? I am so late to the party, but I've just started doing Pomodoro with drum and bass. That's a thing. That's, that's, that's an ingredient that I need in and it's just, it's transformed the way I work. I used to think that maybe 25 minutes wasn't enough time to like really get into something and get stuff done. But it's been, it's been an absolute game changer. Wow. I've gone similar to that. I, read, I don't know what it's called, but one where you time yourself of how long you stick with the task and then you compete with yourself, like to see how long Ooh. you can stay focused. And so I've tried. It's quite interesting. Like I'd recommend giving it a try. So you set the set the timer on your thingy, focus on a task, and then you're 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 conscious that it's there, but you don't want to look at it because obviously then you, oh, oh I've distracted myself. So yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's another good one. Go on, so James. Is the aim to to spend longer on the task or well, to not be distracted for longer? Yeah, I think the I think yeah. the blog post that introduced me to it, this, the guy got his longest focus time was up to one hour forty five minutes on one just task. Working on that, just working on the content for that email. <laughs> just working on the content for that email. Just yeah. editing the podcast. Uh, Gee, if we could get it done in an hour, that'd be amazing. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> Final question for you, Alex. All in on this one, okay? As a podcast that is focused around people doing more good. What is your favourite story or inspiring individual you have met on your journey who has done something good for others? Well, that's a really difficult one, actually. Um, I think for me, can I, can I do a duo? Is that allowed? You can do whatever you like. I, it's a bit of a cheat, but for me, it's Nikki and Simon from Fundraising Everywhere watching how they've democratized learning in the sector and the impact that it's had on people and the sense of community that they created for 
fundraisers and the sector, when we really, really needed it, changed changed everything for me. And I'm not, and it, yeah, it changed how I approach charity comms, how I work every day, how I look at stewardship, who I go to for kind of advice and support. It's kind of inspired me to do more good in like lots of little ways because I feel like their approach, watching how they've, they've built what they've built, it's just lots of little moments of doing more good that have created this really big, amazing thing. Managed to get two mentions of do more good in there as well, you charmer. <laughs> you know exactly what makes us happy. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That's you. so good. Yeah. Alex, yeah. look, we'll we'll leave you there. Is there anything that you wanted to any anything you wanted to leave us with? Or if anyone wants to get in touch with you or follow you on socials, or feel free to mention anything you would like. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Alexandra Fieron, and uh, my website is maybelater.uk. If you would like to receive a newsletter every other week about how to send emails that help change the world and don't suck, go to maybelater.uk forward slash newsletter. Nice. Nice. Okay, we'll all be doing that. James, final thought? Hey, hey I've got two. Hey, it is a really good newsletter as well. It's it really, really good. good. Okay, it's one of those emails you actually... Thank you. When it turns up, when it's got the little emoji that has no relation to anything else. No, when the, it turns up, and I do actually look forward to opening it. So it's, it's in that part for sure. Just thank you, really, for a really honest, authentic hour that we have spent. I love the approach of playing and testing and making it fun. You even got Kenneth to use the word congruence, which I was not expecting. That came out of nowhere. So it's been really good. Thank you very much. No, amazing. I'll 100% agree with that. Alex, we'll let you go. Thank you so much. And yeah, take care. Thank you so much. Bye. Just before we go, can we ask a favour? We would very much appreciate if you can leave us a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast platform. You can also find out more about us on our website at domoregood.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch with either James or myself, you can contact us at contact at domoregood.uk. Let us know how we can improve the show, whether you have a recommendation for a guest or whether you'd like to feature yourself. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good.